Chapter 5 of Little Pilgrimages Among the Women Who Have Written Famous Books. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. Little Pilgrimages Among the Women Who Have Written Famous Books by Edward Francis Harkins. Charles Egbert Craddock, Miss Murphy. On March 4, 1885, the Boston Evening Transcript printed the following paragraph. Last evening, Dr. Holmes and Mr. Howells received a genuine surprise at the hands of the editor of The Atlantic. Mr. Aldrich invited these gentlemen to dine with him to meet Charles Egbert Craddock, the author of In the Tennessee Mountains, Where the Battle Was Fought, and the remarkable novel now publishing in The Atlantic, The Prophet of the Great Smoky Mountains. The surprise lay in the fact that Charles Egbert Craddock is a pseudonym which for the past six years has veiled the identity of a very brilliant woman, Miss Mary Ann Murphy of St. Louis. Thus the curtain was rung down on one of the neatest comedies ever presented to the American reading public, and what a distinguished cast the comedy had. It was in May 1878, during the administration of Mr. Howells, that the readers of The Atlantic were treated to a most delightful, a most refreshing surprise a story of the Tennessee mountains called The Dance and Party at Harrison's Cove by a new author, Charles Egbert Craddock. The quaint and unprecedented strain was noticeable in the first colloquial sentence. For ye see, Miss Darley, them Harrison folks over yander to the cove have terminated on a dancing party. Mr. Howes was pleased with his discovery. The Atlantic readers, then the most critical literary company in America, hailed the coming of a promising author. The professional critics hesitated at first and then echoed the popular applause. Time passed and Mr. Aldrich took Mr. Howell's chair in the Atlantic office, and one of the first official acts of the new editor was to write to Charles Egbert Craddock, inviting more contributions. Then, pending an answer, he ordered in two Craddock stories that had been left over by reason of a superabundance of somewhat more important material. The response to his invitation came in the shape of a series of as excellent American stories as ever was published. The Star in the Valley, The Romance of Sunrise Rock, Over on the Tother Mounting, The Harnt That Walks, Chilhoe, Electioneering on Big Engine Mounting, A Plan on Old Sledge at Settlement, and the exceptionally long and powerful Drifting Down Lost Creek, which ran through three numbers of the Atlantic. Later there appeared a novel, Where the Battle Was Fought, a work hardly worthy of its predecessors. In time, the name of Charles Egbert Craddock was signed to three books, the novel just mentioned, a collection of short stories, In the Tennessee Mountains, and to Down the Ravine, a tale for the young folks in whom the author then took a lively interest. All in all, they were profoundly interesting stories, revealing a deep insight into the manners of the pent-up ignorant, law-flaunting, hard-headed, and pure-hearted mountaineers. Palacio Valdez calls attention to that beautiful spectacle, a virginal man of 80. John Fox, Jr., who has been walking in the footsteps of the author of In the Tennessee Mountains, once said to us that he had met southern mountaineers who at 30 were as chaste as angels. But aside from the virility of the Craddock sketches, there were more substantial marks of the author's masculine sex. 
there was legal acumen for instance which led to the assumption that craddock was a lawyer who turned to literature for recreation and there was the bold manly handwriting inky handwriting a bottle of ink to a page so inky indeed that when mr aldrich thought of asking the southerner for a serial the prophet of the great smoky mountains he remarked i wonder if craddock has laid in his winter's ink yet perhaps i can get a serial out of him it was already known on park street where the old-fashioned headquarters of the atlantic monthly are to be seen today that charles egbert craddock was the pseudonym of m n murphy ah so his name is murphy they were exclaiming monday march second eighteen eighty five brought three guests from st louis to hotel vendome in boston and there they were registered as w l murphy senior and the mrs murphy but the literary world was still in a state of blissful ignorance last monday morning we quote from a contemporaneous account of the incident as mr aldrich was in the editorial room of the atlantic monthly word was brought to him that a lady below wished to see him he went down and met a pleasant young lady who remarked that she was charles egbert craddock mr aldrich could hardly have been more astounded had the roof fallen in and he turned and ran several steps under the pressure of the shock before he recovered his usually imperturbable presence of mind he would have been better prepared to find under that name a strapping six-foot tennessean than the delicate-looking lady before him he now says he is inclined to doubt the sex of all the other atlantic's contributors whom he has not met there are certain things in george eliot's writings which now that one knows one can clearly see could have been written only by a woman but in the writings of charles egbert craddock there is not the slightest trace of feminine influence dr holmes and mr howes were equally astonished at meeting mr craddock in miss murphy mr howes had written that he could not come owing to another engagement though he wished very much to meet craddock but he was persuaded to come by mr aldrich on his way he called at a prominent publisher's who said tell craddock to drop around and see us it will hardly be a violation of privacy to say that the evening was a delightful one to all that the chief guest was addressed as they by the host in recognition of the quality of miss murphy and charles egbert craddock while the hostess could not lose the latter name from mine and compromised with miss craddock it is reasonable to inquire why the innocent deception was practiced for so long a time the author's brother william l murphy jr once partly illuminated the matter he said mr aldrich and her publishers knew that craddock was an assumed name but never doubted that m n murphy was a man the nom de plume her style of writing and chirography all contributed to this impression the name was assumed as well for a cloak in case of failure as to secure the advantage that a man has in literature over a woman he obtains a quicker reading by the publishers is better received by the public in the beginning and altogether has an easier time of it accident led to the choice of the name which had been much discussed in the family before being finally determined upon by her in the form used those portions of her writings which are called peculiarly masculine are not in any sense affectations it was never doubted she was a man and hence there was no reason for the adoption of disguise in writing each portion of her work was read to the family before being sent away and it may be sometimes criticized as to some detail 
she is too positive and painstaking to need or allow much interference in the plan or arrangement of her material inexperience is the only excuse for the idea that prejudice against women exists among either the publishers or the people who read and love books the proofs in opposition to this idea especially in these days are too numerous to present the pseudonym came to be chosen in this way egbert craddock was the name of the hero of miss murphy's second story which was only partly written when the time came to send the manuscript of the first story to the publishers in doubt regarding what pen name to adopt miss murphy took the name of her new hero and prefixed charles to it just to give it the appearance of verisimilitude all in all it was a very happy choice and inspired choice mary noel murphy was born at grantlands near murfreesboro tennessee in eighteen fifty grantlands was the family home inherited from her great-grandfather colonel hardy murphy a gallant soldier of the revolution who in eighteen o seven moved from his native state of north carolina to the new state of tennessee where he settled near the town that later was given his name miss murfree's father william law murfree was a lawyer by profession her mother was priscilla the daughter of judge dickinson the names of both her father and her brother have a place in american literature mary exhibited literary aspirations even when as a little girl she went to school in nashville later she and her sister fanny went to school in philadelphia the murfrees were hard hit by the war of the rebellion and their distress was emphasized by mary's poor health but the young woman showed a dauntless spirit quietly observant keenly imaginative and strongly inclined to write she began to set down her impressions of the life about her notably the life in the tennessee mountains where the family usually spent the summer with what successful admirable results the lovers of american literature know full well in eighteen eighty one the family moved to st louis but miss murfree's present address is her native town in tennessee she could not fairly be characterized as a dialect writer her narration is generally excellent and her power of description is especially praiseworthy note for example the life and the grace in the first lines of the heart that walks chillowy the breeze freshened after the sun went down and the hop and gourd vines were all astir as they clung about the little porch where clarzy was sitting now idle at last the rain clouds had disappeared and there bent over the dark heavily wooded ridges a pale blue sky with here and there the crystalline sparkle of a star a halo was shimmering in the east where the mists had gathered about the great white moon hanging high above the mountains noiseless wings flitted through the dusk now and then the bats swept by so close as to move clarcy's hair with the wind of their flight what an airy glittering magical thing was that gigantic spider-web suspended between the silver moon and her shining eyes ever and anon there came from the woods a strange weird long-drawn sigh unlike the stir of the wind in the trees unlike the fret of the water on the rocks was it the voiceless sorrow of the sad earth there were stars in the night besides those known to astronomers the stellular fireflies gemmed the black shadows with a fluctuating brilliancy they circled in and out of the porch and touched the leaves above clarcy's head with quivering points of light a steadier and an intenser gleam was advancing along the road and the sound of languid footsteps came with it 
the aroma of tobacco graced the atmosphere and a tall figure walked up to the gate note above the engaging swing of the words the masculine touch the aroma of tobacco graced the atmosphere surely mr aldrich and his associates not to mention the readers of the atlantic were justified in thinking of mr craddock and in the same story you will find another remarkably vivid picture not large and overwhelming that is not the author's style but small and delicate with all the scenery of a photograph but even a more impressive appearance of reality the picture of clarcy sitting at the window in the moonlight miss murfree's brother is our authority for the statement that her pictures of people are of types not individuals and where it is thought an individual has been drawn it is because that person possesses in a large degree the peculiarities of his class the vital fact however is the author's success in portraiture her skill in infusing vitality into her picturesque characters her artistic employment of a cultivated imaginative temperament her natural gifts quite suit her choice of subjects it might be said superficially but beneath the surface of her success is to be seen the artistry that adorns all subjects she is an artist as we would say of miss jewett or miss wilkins like them she would successfully hold the mirror up to her nature anywhere personally she is of medium height and slight form her features are prominent in a square and projecting forehead large gray eyes a deep-set grecian nose large mouth and a chin that may be described as accounting for her positiveness on the whole a pleasant magnetic impressive face she converses vivaciously and her friends say she is a captivating storyteller her work is a valuable as well as entertaining contribution to american literature indeed she has covered her field so well that any hope of improving upon her standard or even of emulating it as laudably is almost futile. End of chapter 5